Well, hello, hello out there, Pinky Podsters. Check out the new music. It's just a snippet of actually a longer song called The Void. I like it. I found it by Googling, uh, not Google, I was in iTunes and uh, searching for true crime and then songs. <laughs> Pretty cool. So I thought I would use it for this bonus episode. Good as time as any. And I'll probably use it for all of them from now on. I've never felt like I had the perfect intro when I do. After a while, I get tired of it. And maybe you do too. So before I get to the fun of this bonus episode, because it is kind of fun, I'm going to get the business out of the way. Please follow me on Twitter at PodPinky, on Instagram, Pinky underscore podcast. I am now a TikToker, S underscore Royt. I have my own website. PinkySwearPress.com, which has novels about, because I also write, by the way, you might want to check that out. I'm on Amazon. Google me too. <laughs> plug, plug. I'm also a barber. So if you are in the Seattle area, it's a haircut joint. You can find me on Booksy. Sherry Royce on Booksy.com. Yeah, yeah. Over around Ballard. Ballard. Thanks for listening if you're out there in Seattle, my people. What else? And I have buymeacoffee.com slash pinkypod, where you can leave just even a tip. Just the tip. All right. I think I got everything out of the way. Blah, blah, blah. It's like you got to be on 50 million platforms these days. So what am I here to talk about today? Cryptozoology. Now, the reason I wanted to do this is I started thinking about how long ago did this start? Like, is this just more recent with Bigfoot and, you know, all the ones that we all know about? Loch Ness Monster would qualify, all the big famous ones. But when was this really a thing, you know? And what has it meant over the years? Well, that's what I'm here to tell you. I'm going to start with Conversations in Science at Indiana University. This is uh, written by SEIU undergraduate intern Lisey Davis, L-E-E-C-Y, uh, from January of 2021. Let's just get right to it. Cryptozoology is the study of the unknown legendary or extinct animals whose existence or survival to the present day is disputed or unsubstantiated. Pretty much sounds like, yeah, exactly. It was made a field of study in 1955. However, cryptozoology has been around since the 15th century BC. So I think basically, to reiterate, officially a study in 1955, but cryptozoology has actually existed longer than that, 15th century BC. There's significant misinformation concerning the field, with the majority of individuals not understanding what cryptozoology zoology is or its beginnings. Cryptozoology isn't people just running around trying to catch vampires and werewolves, but rather one where scientists analyze folklore and biological data to understand the phenomena of our world. It's a legit science, you guys. When it comes to cryptozoology, 
The best way to explain its purpose is to know its history. Yes, yes, I agree with you so far. There are several events that span over thousands of years that were instrumental in the creation of cryptozoology. It all begins in 15th century BC, which is where we'll begin. I'm just reading it verbatim. In 15th century B BC, Egypt was under the rule of female Egyptian pharaoh, Queen Hatshepsut. Oh God, I should have read this before I read it to you. Hatshepsut, Hatshepsut, H-A-T-S-H-E-P-S-U-T. The Red Sea was completely uncharted, but provided a gateway to Punt, which they describe here as the uncharted regions of Central Africa, and it was a necessity for trading. During her reign as pharaoh, ships would cross the Red Sea and bring back animals unknown to Egyptians. Now, some of the animals included the long-necked dragon, or as we know today, giraffe, parrots, and the, quote, African unicorn, which is better known now as the akapi. These animals all provide some of the earliest examples of how animals we know today were, of course, unknown to some people in ancient times. You see where they're going with that? Some things that we might not think exist or have never heard of today. In the future, maybe somebody would be go like, oh yeah, my, my neighbor down the street is totally Bigfoot. Really cool. Really cool people. Um, Valmiki, a poet of Sanskrit literature, wrote the Ramayana around the 2nd and 4th centuries BC. A character in the Ramayana is the Vanaras, a group of monkey-like humanoids with human intelligence. There are many Sanskrit epics of Southeast Asia that mention the Vanaras. Some Indians believe Vanaras to be Asian big feet. She said big foots. What, whichever. Many versions of these tales do exist across different Asian countries, including Indonesia, Thailand, Burma, Cambodia, Laos, China, and the Philippines. Pliny the Elder was a Roman author, naturalist, and natural philosopher who wrote the Naturalist Historia AD 77. Now, I know who he is. You may not have, and some of you may have, but he's kind of famous. He's kind of a big deal. And after his journeys across East Africa and India, Pliny told people about seeing giant grasshoppers, cynocephalus, man-cats, I think they were leopards, killing flies, tsetse flies, like these things are now confirmed to be actual creatures, fire-breathing basilisk, don't know if that became anything that we know, and numerous insects that were at the time unknown by anyone in Rome. This is one of the earliest examples of cryptozoology and of anyone thinking beyond the accepted science in their time period. Conrad Gesner, a Swiss naturalist and biographer, was the founder of modern zoology. From 1551 to 1558, he wrote the five-volume Historiae Animalium, considered to be the beginning of modern zoology. Not only was it the first bibliography of natural writing histories, but it also became the first to describe all known animals of a time period. The five volumes are over 4,500 pages and consist of a few cryptids, prehistoric fossils, unicorns, hellcats, sea monsters, sky serpents, dragons, mermaids, and the kraken. And then we have David Thompson, the greatest land geographer that ever lived who was the first person to scientifically document a Sasquatch and its footprints in 1811. 
While he was busy mapping regions of Canada and the United States, he became well-connected with the Spokane tribe of Washington State. Yeah, Washington, represent! The Spokane tribe mentioned giants that lived in a mountain range west of their lands. These giants would come down and steal salmon. I, I personally want to interject, steal? You can't steal what somebody else didn't own in the first place. Anyway, but apparently they would come and take the salmon from the people while they slept. Like, sure, somebody else did the fishing for me. Why not? <laughs> it's believed the mount in the mountains. Oh, pardon me. It's believed that the mountains they were referring to were probably the Cascades. Yes, I would say that's true. Anthony Cornelis Udmans was a specialist in archaeology, not archaeology, but this is spelled A-R-C-A-L-O-G-Y which is the study of mites and ticks. However, he's best known for his studies of sea monsters. Yeah, a lot more exciting, I suppose, than ticks. And even the dodo bird. His most well-known study was the Great Sea Serpent in 1892. He's considered the scholarly origin for the field of cryptozoology. I feel like as I'm reading this, I mean, I think that um, they wrote a, a cool paper but I, I don't know about you, but I'm already feeling like I've been given like three different origins for, for cryptozoology in this. I thought it was the 15th century. But now, oh, I, okay, the 15th century, I guess, was people knew about it. But then they go back to the 4th century. And then we say it's officially 1955. But then this guy did the sea serpent thing in 1892. So I don't know. Pick a date. Pick a date. It's been around a while. But okay. I probably shouldn't criticize because now we're up to 1995. Bernard Havelmans, a Belgian-French scientist, explorer, and writer, invented the term cryptozoology. Okay, so we'd, I don't know what they called it in 1955 or any of these other times. He, along with Scottish-American biologist Ivan T. Sanderson, are considered the founding figures in cryptozoology. You see what I mean? I think I know what they're trying to say, but the way it's been worded makes it sound like every one of these is the origin of cryptozoology. I, I think this could have been laid out a little more concisely. I hope you're following. I'll, I'll put this uh, I'll, the link for this in the show notes. Now, Mr. Hovelmans and Mr. Sanderson argued that cryptozoology should be undertaken with scientific rigor, but with an open-minded interdisciplinary approach. They believed attention should be placed on local urban folkloric sources regarding cryptids. While these sources can have many fantastical and unbelievable elements, many are based on truth and can help people learn more about undiscovered organisms. The study of cryptozoology is one that has spent thousands of years. See, now we're thousands of years. But okay, it wasn't called cryptozoology. I'm just, there we go. That Let's make it simple. It's been going on for a hell of a long time, but we didn't call it that. Cool, okay. <laughs> Every legend, myth, and folklore you know that describes creatures beyond our wildest imaginations is a form of cryptozoology. I agree with that because as, as covered in the beginning of this article, a lot of things that people in some cultures may not, may never have encountered other people knew what they were, and even if other people didn't know, eventually they came to be known creatures. The giraffe is such an excellent example. Long-necked dragon, a.k.a. giraffe. You weren't expecting that one, were you? 
Now, while the field can be bashed as pseudoscience, it's important to remember that many creatures we know today were once considered cryptids. Oh, I just said that. I'm, I went off script. This may be difficult to process, seeing as how we know these animals to be real. Put yourself in the shoes of Egyptians, Pliny the Elder, or even David Thompson, and think how you would feel if you saw a baboon and didn't know what it was. Imagine you'd feel a mix of wonderment, fear, and probably running away screaming, monster! True that. How quick we are as humans to discredit the existence of things that scare us. Look how scared some people are. She says we, I'm going to say some, because other people actively look for them. Look how scared we are of Bigfoot, Chupacapra, and the Jersey Devil. I love the ones she decides to include. It's great. Like, I'm not even making fun of it. We prefer to write them off as imagination than accept there's so much we don't know or understand. Than accept. <laughs> it's not written that way. There will always be people, like myself, who will never ignore the unexplained. One day, many years from now, our hard work will pay off. There are references cited here, all that, like a whole bunch of them, like about 15 footnotes, you know, so that's pretty good. And as I'm scrolling down, I see somebody commented on this. Somebody commented, uh, Sanderson, who this person says they knew, claimed he had invented the term in the 1930s. Hubblemans did not argue with him and ceded that Sanderson had come up with the term. Ooh, oh, fight. No, just kidding. The other one they're talking about is somebody comments about a TV show that came out. Well, you know what? What does this say? Jack says, interesting read. I've been on a finding Bigfoot and other cryptos, quote, obsession, reading blogs and watching documentaries, TV shows. I recently found a new show that just came out on Discovery Plus called Alaskan Killer Bigfoot. Anybody out there watching it? And so far, it's a really enjoyable watch. It's about the mysteriously abandoned Portlock, Alaska. 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 I don't know what's that about. Alaska. Which hasn't been lived on for the past 70 years. And still today, because the inhabitants felt threatened by a Bigfoot-like creature, so they fled off the land. I'm reading that verbatim. Don't yell at me. Blah, 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 blah. The show follows an expedition group who go back to Portland to see if the land can be lived on once again. But of course, they fear a crypto during their journey. I, nobody calls it crypto, do they? Why are you calling it crypto? Okay, whatever. I wanted to go from there. From a, from a bit of a non-fiction, you know, a non-fictional article to totally, maybe, fiction or non-fiction, you decide. 16 cryptids that might or might not exist. And this is by Paul Anthony Jones. We'll just reiterate, he says, uh, cryptozoology is the study of creatures whose existence has yet to be or cannot entirely be proven or disproven by science. These creatures, known collectively as cryptids, include examples like the Loch Ness Monster, Bigfoot, and the Himalayan Yeti, yet these famous cases are by no means the only ones on record. In fact, practically every country and every corner of the globe has its own legendary monster or mystery creature that supposedly dwells there, from giant bats in Java to enormous water hounds in Ireland. And I love this. So the very first one, Aul, and that's A-H-O-O-L. Aul's are enormous carnivorous bats that are said to inhabit the rainforest of Java in Indonesia. 
believed to have a wingspan in excess of 10 feet, which would make them about the same size as a condor. Owls are said to be covered in thick brown or black fur like fruit bats, oh, sky puppies, but unlike bats have long powerful legs and claws and are supposedly capable of pouncing on and snatching up live prey, including humans, if the stories are to be believed, just from open ground. Boop. I see you, snatch. Sightings of owls are often dismissed simply as mistaken glimpses of owls, eagles, and other large birds of prey that inhabit the same rainforests, but some sources claim creatures do indeed exist and may even be an isolated and as yet undiscovered uh, species descended from petrosaurs. Now, I was just thinking about that, how some of these creatures may have descended from, I mean, dinosaurs, y'all, dinosaurs existed, okay, so why not? Now, the, na the native Ainu people of Japan have long believed that Volcano Bay off south coast of Hokkaido is home to an enormous octopus called the Akoro Kamui. Numerous sightings of the creature have been made over the years. British missionary named John Batchelor, who was working on Hokkaido in the early 1900s, recorded one such sighting in his book, The Ainu and Their Folklore, writing that, quote, a great sea monster with large staring eyes had attacked three local fishermen and their boat. The monster was round in shape and emitted a dark fluid and a noxious odor. The three men fled in dismay, not so much indeed for fear, they say, but on account of the dreadful smell. So it's a stinky puss, a stinky puss. However, that may have been, however that may have been, blah, 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 However that may have been, they were so scared that the next morning all three refused to get up and eat. There we go. If I tried to sound like this, I don't know what it is. I can actually read it. Anyway, they were lying in their beds pale and trembling. As you might be. You know, I could believe that exists. We have giant squid after all. Number three. Altamahaha. That's kind of fun to say. Altamahaha. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. No, I'm not sorry. It's fun to say. The, the Altamahaha is a 20 to 30 foot long river monster with large flippers and a seal-like snout that is said to inhabit the mouth of the Altamaha River near Darien, Georgia. My George, any Georgia people out there, you know what this is? Although numerous accounts of sightings of the Altamaha have apparently been made over the years, the fact that Darien was founded as New Inverness by a band of Scottish Highlanders in 1736. Wow, I didn't know that. There's, there's one I didn't know. I know some other Scottish settlements, but wow, Georgia, cool. It seems to suggest that the legend is probably nothing more than a descendant of the Scots settlers' tales of the Loch Ness Monsters. Could be, could be. Very interesting. Number four, Dovar Ku, or Waterhound, is a legendary otter-like animal that supposedly lives in isolated freshwater lows and rivers in Ireland. And this is spelled D-O-V-H-A-R, Dovar, C-H-U, Ku, like Kuhulin. If it's, it's, it's in Gaelic, okay? Usually described as a half-dog, half-fish hybrid with a long snaking body covered in thick fur, Dovarku is large and heavyset that can move very fast both in the water and on land, even, according to one story, being able to keep up with a galloping horse. 
Sightings of the creature date back several centuries in Ireland, and there are at least two gravestones, in, including one in County Leitrim, dating back as far as 1722, of people who were reportedly attacked and killed by a Dolvarku. Oh, that's funky. Number five is Emela Natuka. A number of native Central African tribes believe the swamps of the Congo Basin to be inhabited by an enormous semi-aquatic creature known as the Amela Nituka. Similar to, but larger than a hippopotamus and armed with a single long bony tusk or horn in the center of its forehead, the Amela Nituka is apparently herbivorous, but like the hippo, has a reputation for being dangerously confrontational if it's disturbed and has been known to turn on and kill creatures larger than itself, and its name means elephant killer. Number six, Filico Terras. The waters off the coast of Cape Grico National Park in Cyprus are supposedly home to a sea monster known locally as Tofilico Terras, or the friendly monster. As its name suggests, the monster has apparently never attacked humans, but has nevertheless gained a reputation for destroying fishermen's nets and upturning smaller boats. Which is probably an accident. He's just, you know, awkward. <laughs> Stories of the Felico Terrace are probably inspired by the Greek legend of Scylla, a huge sea monster that attacks Odysseus's boat in the Odyssey. But in truth, sightings of the creature are probably nothing more than mistaken, sighting, mistaken sightings of squid or octopus, octopuses. I'm pretty sure it's octopi, but okay. Now, I love this one because I am Groot slang. However, you are soon to hear that it is nowhere near as cute as Groot, okay? Number seven, Groot slang. The Groot slang, or Great Snake, is a legendary monster said to dwell in the caves of Richt Richtersveld, a mountainous desert in the region in northwestern South Africa. In local mythology, Grutslangs were primordial creatures comprised of the head and front of an elephant and the back and tail of an enormous serpent. When the earth was created, the Grutslangs were all apparently destroyed, but according to legend, some survived and retreated to the deepest caves of the Northern Cape province. Tales of enormous tusked snakes, probably inspired by real-life sightings of enormous pythons that live in the same area. Dude, have you ever heard dudes and dudettes of any of these? There are snakes that can be like 30 feet long, swallow entire goats. I'm not afraid of snakes, but that's pretty freaky. Like, I think anaconda is one of the biggest ones, right? So much so, of course, they made that weird, supposedly scary movie. Anaconda! I digress. There have been, um, what am I saying? The, the tales have rumbled on in South African folklore ever since the mysterious there was a mysterious disappearance of a British diamond magnet named Peter Grayson in the Richtersveld Caves in 1917, which is sometimes also blamed on a Groot slang. Sorry, I kind of screwed that up. <laughs> Number eight, the Jersey Devil. The Jersey Devil is a cryptid said to live in the Pine Barrens region of New Jersey. According to legend, the creature was the unwanted 13th son of one of the state's earliest settlers, Mother Leeds, who offered her son to the devil on his birth in 1735 because she and her husband couldn't afford to raise another child. 
Ever since then, hundreds have reported sightings of a grotesque two-legged hooved monster with a sheep-like head and large scaly wings have been reported in the Pine Barrens, including a famous incident in the winter of 1909 when a long trail of hooved footprints crossing under fences and over walls and rooftops mysteriously appeared in the snow. I'm just thinking, if you already have children, uh, 12 children, God, wow. Okay, let's see if that helps. You enjoying my flubs today? Holy crap. What I was trying to say was, you already have 12 children. What's one more? You can't afford a 13th? That seems like a strange origin story. Number nine, Mappengari. I, I, you know, I plead the fact that there's some difficult words in here that's making my tongue trip all over itself. Yeah, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Mapingari. The Mapinguari, Guari maybe, is a large ape-like creature said to inhabit the rainforest straddling the border between Brazil and Bolivia. According to local folklore, the Mapinguari stands around eight feet tall, has a tough and apparently bulletproof covering of scales on its back, thick red fur on its head and belly, long curved claws, and, if all of the stories are to be believed, a second mouth in the center of its stomach. This might need to be its own episode. When approached by humans, the Mapinguari is said to rear up on its hind legs like a bear and can supposedly produce a foul-smelling scent to ward off potential hunters. As recently as 2007, a sighting was reported in none other than the New York Times, reported by them. Oh. Number 10, the Ogopogo. Another fun one to say, Ogopogo. I wonder if they'd like to listen to Oingo Boingo. If you know, you're my age. The Ogopogo is a vast water serpent said to reside in Lake Akanagan. Okanagan. I always say it wrong. I'm probably still saying it wrong. In British Columbia. Sightings of the Agapogo date back to the early 1800s when the creature was originally known by the native name Nahaitaka, meaning Lake Devil. The name Okapogo wasn't adopted until the 1920s when it was lifted from the title of a popular English musical hall number called the Ogopogo, the funny foxtrot. Well, see, I can't be blamed for thinking that's funny. I'm looking for the Ogopogo, the funny little Ogopogo. His mother was an earwig. His father was a whale. I'm going to put a little bit of salt on its tail. I'm quoting that, okay? Oh, gosh. The pronunciations are getting even worse for me. Number 11, Olgoi Korkoi. The name Olgoi Korkoi means large intestine worm. Ew in Mongolian, but this four-foot-long subterranean cryptid is more like a giant earthworm than a parasitic tapeworm. It is also known less subtly as the Mongolian deathworm. The Olgoi Korkoi apparently lives beneath the sands of the southern Gobi Desert. <gasps> dune? Is this dune, y'all? Hmm. Only coming up to the surface in the warmer sum summer months or when the ground becomes too wet for it to survive. Sightings of the worm date back several centuries, oh, worms plural, not just one, amongst native Mongolians, many of whom claim the Ogoi Korkoi is able to spit venom or even acid from its mouth, while its body is apparently coated with such a toxic slime that anyone who happens to touch it will be instantly killed. 
Oh, shout out to my home state, number 12, Momo. Momo, short for Missouri Monster, is a mysterious ape-man similar to Bigfoot, which is said to inhabit the forest alongside the Mississippi River as it passes through Missouri. First reported in 1971, so he's just kind of a baby, y'all. Momo is described as 7 to 8 feet tall with a broad pumpkin-shaped head <laughs> and is supposedly covered head to foot in thick dark fur. According to some accounts, the creature is notoriously aggressive and like the South American Mapinguari, is able to produce a grotesque smell, even worse than a skunk's, to ward off would-be attackers. So basically, I think he just wants to be left the hell alone. Here, I make stinky. Run away. You don't run away, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> yeah. Momo. Number 13. Shuck. Okay, these are getting easier now. Watch, I'll find out that it's spelled simply, but really it's not pronounced simply. You watch. The folklore of the British Isles is littered with tales of mysterious black dogs that supposedly haunt rural towns and villages across the country. The Shuck, a huge black hound said to dwell in East Anglia on the far eastern coast of England, is probably one of the most famous, having apparently attacked a church in the village of Bungay, Suffolk. Bungay? Okay, whatever. During a thunderstorm in 1577. According to local records, while the villagers were sheltering from the storm in the church, a huge black dog burst through the church door and killed a man and his son, then pulled down one of the pillars supporting the church steeple, which collapsed into the nave. As it fled the church, the shuck apparently left scorch marks in the wood of the church door that can still be seen to this day. Sounds like a hellhound, y'all. Oh, this one's kind of cute. Number 14, Tetzel Worm. Tetzel worms are lizard-like creatures that are supposed to inhabit the most isolated regions of the Alps. Although accounts of their size and appearance vary, they are typically said to be around two to five feet in length with a broad cat-like head and a wide gaping mouth. Their forelimbs are short and armed with long claws, but they have no hind legs and instead their bodies taper into a long snake-like tail. They sound kind of cute. Uh, numerous sightings of the creatures, which are known as Tatzel worms in Germany, Arasas in France, Arasas, Arasas in France, Stalin worms in Switzerland, Bergstutzens in Austria, and Basilicos, uh, I was waiting for something that sounded more like Basilisk, Basilicos in Italy, have been made all over the Alps, including a recent spate of sightings reported in Italy's Il Giorno newspaper as recently as 2009. I might have to do an episode on couple, five, ten of these, eh? Number 15, Tessie. Tahoe Tessie is a lake monster said to live in the waters of Lake Tahoe in central California. Sightings of Tessie date back to at least the 19th century and usually describe a vast snake-like creature with a long neck, humped back, and it swims so fast that it can even keep up with sailboats. But strangely, according to local folklore, Tessie sightings are always more common in even number years than odd. Well, I like this one. Number 16, Yowie. No, really, Yowie. Yowies are a species of Bigfoot-like apes said to inhabit the Australian outback. Leave it to Australia to have a fun name. Usually described as tall and stocky, 
and covered head to foot in thick black or dark red fur. Most accounts of yaoi sightings claim the creatures are shy and very easily spooked, although some tales claim they can be confrontational and can produce a blood-curdling scream when threatened. Again, I think they just want to be left alone, y'all. Nowadays, the creatures are generally considered a myth, but in the 19th century, sightings were remarkably common, to the extent that in 1892, an Australian amateur adventurer and scholar named Herbert J. McCooey, who had supposedly spotted a yowie near Batesman Bay in New South, New South Wales several years earlier, wrote to the Australian Museum in Sydney, offering to capture one of the creatures for a fee of 40 pounds. Around, uh, according to this, that's around U.S. 3,000 or 1,800 pounds today. And needless to say, he failed. He didn't, he didn't catch nothing. He didn't catch nothing. And that was from uh, mentalfloss.com. And I just thought that was fun. So that's my little bonus episode. I know maybe you want to hear more, but guess what? I'm going to stop right there. And I encourage you to find me on the socials, you know, that I gave you at the top of the site, at uh, top of the episode, uh, especially Twitter, PodPinky, or email me, sroit, S-R-O-I-T, at pinkysquarepress.com, and tell me if you have uh, any favorites here that maybe I should look look up and see if I can make a whole episode out of it. And if and I'll tell you what, if it turns out that, that the ones we pick are... Um, don't have very much information well then you know we'll just we'll put a couple we'll have a double feature you know into one episode but some of these sound like a lot of fun and i'll probably do them anyway but i would like your feedback which one of those sounded especially interesting like oh you need to look that up or maybe you're from australia and you can tell me about yowie wowies maybe you're from any of these other places and you have some information or you can point me towards some information or you can tell me oh yeah that's really interesting do that one nobody ever does that one also on that note if there are one you know cryptids that i have never covered and I, I've covered a few back in season one, but nothing. I tried to find more obscure ones. I mean, that's what I would really like to do the most. Everybody does Bigfoot, right? And and all of those other ones. I want to do something different or at least is more, how do I put it? Uh, uh, like there might, you know, the Yowie sounds kind of like a Bigfoot, but at the same time, it really doesn't. It is, but it isn't. So I like to at least find more unique takes instead of everybody just always says oh they're like bigfoot oh it's australian's version of the bigfoot oh like momo pumpkin side pumpkin type head that's not a bigfoot and yet everybody goes oh it's missouri's uh you know idea of a bigfoot no we have other things as well i think i did an episode in fact so what i am um tying myself in knots here trying to say is i want something more unique even if it is something that we've heard of, maybe there's a unique angle to it. So again, you know, let me know. Find me on the socials or email me, sroyt at pinkysquarepress.com. And especially if you have an encounter that you would like to relay to me, I would love to put it out on a podcast episode. It can be cryptids, alien, ghosts, you know. And even if you don't think it was real, it's, it's still fun to do. 
All right. So thanks for listening today to this little bonus episode. I hope it was fun. I hope you had a really good laugh at the fact that I can't talk good. <laughs> and and um, yeah, I keep talking about I should make a t-shirt that says something like aliens abducted my tongue. Uh, maybe somebody who's a better artist. Uh, I, I can do some art, but I can't seem to get on paper what I think would be funny for, for a t-shirt like that. I don't know. If you have an idea, that would be fun too. All right. And I will catch you hopefully on Friday's episode, which will come out this week. What is that? April 1st. And I promise you it's not an April Fool's episode. It's actually pretty serious. Uh, missing persons. All right. I get to, and I read a bunch of um, names of people who are missing. I talk about an old 73 year old cold case. It's never been solved. And I mentioned uh, Naomi Irion, who, as I recorded that and as I'm recording this, is still missing, although they did arrest a suspect, but they have not found her. And that's that's only like two, two and a half weeks old, that, that case, okay? So tune in on Friday. And I did not get deep into the recent case because other people have done a very good job of it. Going West Podcast. Uh, does a really good job with missing person cases. That's I, I love those guys. Give them a give them a listen. All right, and I will catch you on the flip side. May you know maybe don't eat lizards because you never know they might be some really cool cryptic.